Welcome back to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, a show that's by sport PTs and for sport PT professionals. We're here to accelerate growth in your sports PT career while giving you the tools to provide your athletes with game-changing results. Here's your host, sports physical therapist and practice owner, Dr. Yoni Rosenblatt. Welcome to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. Dr. Dries, thrilled to have you here. Thrilled to have you educate sports PTs around the world. There are about six of them listening right now. So they are going to learn a ton from you, I am sure. Start, please, by introducing yourself to those sports PTs. Sure. Thanks, Yoni. Pleasure to be here with you. Uh, Really looking forward to uh, discussing sports medicine. It's a topic that obviously is near and dear to my heart and one that uh, I really enjoy talking about. I... um, Uh, I'll go back to college. I went to Penn State University. I stayed there for medical school, did my residency in orthopedics at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York, and then went to uh, Pittsburgh with the late Freddie Fu and spent a year working with him and kind of honing my craft. Initially in practice for two years down in Charlotte, and then I've been in Baltimore since that time in 2005, been at MedStar since 2013. So about 20 years of experience in practicing sports medicine taking care of a variety of different teams um, at the college and and at the professional level now, contributing as well. So uh, it's really been a fabulous career up to this point. Uh, I love taking care of athletes. I love taking care of recreational athletes and and athletes who really uh, are competing at the high school, collegiate, and professional level too. So they have many of the same demands. a little bit different at the higher levels of sport, certainly, but um, but still uh, a real motivation to get back to sport and to stay involved at the highest level that they can. It's really, that's awesome. I even learned just a little bit during that bio that you just shared, um, and it actually points to a lot of what I want to cover today, um, talking about some of that higher level athletes that you cover. Just fill in a couple gaps for me and the audience. You currently work with professional football. Right. Right. So I've been an associate orthopedic team physician with the Ravens since 2013. um, And then also uh, at the collegiate level, too. Okay, that's the pinnacle of some people's career. I love that you left that out in your bio. Um, But awesome that you do that. I've seen you do an unbelievable job there. Um, And then what do I always give you a hard time about with your bio that I wish you shared more? (laughs) Come on. I played football in college, uh, which honestly was one of the most enjoyable experiences of my life. Certainly, and from a competitive sports standpoint, I grew up playing a lot of sports. Uh, My life really revolved around sports growing up, and through college it did as well. But that really was the pinnacle of my athletic career, was the ability to to, uh, compete in uh, Division I football. For Penn State. Right. Okay. Like, it's important to share that stuff. And here's why it's important. I was just um, working with an athlete that you performed an outstanding uh, operation on with his ACL. I said, you know, Dries was a football player. He's like, no, he wasn't. <laughs> like, I'm telling you, he was a football player who played at Penn State. So it's not just that you played football. It's that you played at Penn State. Your patients want to hear that, I think. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's an interesting uh, topic. I think it is probably less important that I played at that level and more important for me that I kind of understand the locker room, the dynamics with the coaching staff, um, just everything that surrounds sport in the way that athletes deal with injury. Um, Having suffered through several of my own, I think it gives me a unique perspective into how that works. Um, And I I do think that uh, has proven to be beneficial to me, certainly. 
no question about it. I mean, so your patients, I think, want to hear that. I know on our side and the true sports side, I love promoting our staff, our clinicians that have competed at a high level. The athletes, the patients themselves love hearing it. So um, I think your audience, this audience loves that you were a punter because you left that out also at Penn State. Um, I love that because I spend a lot of time with specialists that compete on Sundays and they are meticulous to say the least. And I think that shows through in some of your work. Um, so, I, you know, it's my pet peeve, but uh, share that. Yeah, I mean, I would say I, I think there is tremendous value in sport for young athletes in particular in terms of teaching them lifelong lessons in in different um different parts of sport that I think make you better at sport from, um, you know, from time management to uh, dedication to dealing with hardship and managing injury and coming back from, uh, from disappointment, um, dealing with loss in sport. I think all of those are really valuable lessons for athletes. Um, and I think that those things have really benefited me in life in general as well. So, I am someone who certainly is a big proponent for the benefits of sport for young people and teaching them some lifelong lessons that, that benefit them in moving forward in their lives. You, you really make it clear in the way you communicate with your patients. Um, it's one of the reasons that I value this relationship so much and one of the reasons I'm so excited to share some of those specifics. We're going to play a little game. We're going to talk about what we wish or what we would want the other profession to do more of. I'm going to tell you what I would love orthopedic surgeons to do more of, you're going to say the same thing about sports PTs. Okay? Okay. I'll, I'll All get right. started. All right. Okay? I would love if orthopedic surgeons would stop showing their patients those little circle pictures. No one knows what the hell those mean. Can you stop doing that? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I th that's fair. Um, I think it is the those little circular pictures that you talk about are arthroscopic photos. Yes. And they, I think, are an important part of trying to really illustrate to, to our athletes and our patients their injury, the treatment for it. But I think to someone outside of orthopedics, it, it probably is a little bit difficult to decipher exactly what it is. So I think there are, there are ways to help with that, and you can mark on the images what the injury is and what the treatment is. But... Uh, in and of itself, I think that, that the images themselves probably don't do um, a great service in terms of uh, how to move forward. I think they, they are helpful from a documentation standpoint for me. I mean, I think it's important to document everything we do uh, because that does affect, it, it affects rehab and, and it affects um, recovery and, and a lot of other parts of that post-operative process. But in and of itself, it's not, uh, I think the, the conversation is, is more important than, yeah. than the illustration. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Duly noted. Um, I do remember when you came in and, and taught uh, true sports physical therapists about uh, meniscectomies, meniscal repairs. That was really eye-opening. I've heard you speak a number of times on podcasts specifically about meniscal pathology, and it's unbelievable. I do remember in the back of that presentation, raising my hand, as you were pointing out to all of us sports PTs where the meniscal tear is. and where I'm like, Doc... Uh, I don't know what we're looking at. And I saw everyone else in the room being like, yeah, we weren't taught that. So maybe it's not that you guys should stop using it, but definitely the sports PT has got to get better at understanding that stuff. The patient has no idea. So I, yeah, I hear you. I mean, worth. I think, the, I mean, the other important thing too, that, that I think is such an important part of this, of, of sort of managing patient injuries and making sure that 
that the rehab is is directed toward the injury is that line of communication and sort of the education between the physical therapist and the orthopedist because we there's a lot that we can both learn from each other and I think to the extent that we can do that it benefits our patients um, and that's just a small part of it but I think you know the conversation and the relationship part of it I think is is the more important part there but there's a lot to be learned in both ways there and uh, and I certainly wholeheartedly believe that I've I've benefited tremendously from some of the feedback and some of the education that I've gotten from physical therapists with regard to patients and and uh, and their rehab afterwards so I think it, it's a symbiotic relationship uh, for sure but it needs to be kind of a two-way conversation for it to really work well yeah and and you've you've definitely been been outstanding at that okay your turn Go okay ahead. all right well I'll say um, a couple pet peeves. One of my pet peeves is the process following ACL reconstruction where patients um, are classically told that they can ditch their crutches and continue to use their brace. That one, I think, despite, there's just a couple of things in rehab afterwards that I really sort of stress with patients. One of which is they need their crutches for four weeks to help protect themselves from the standpoint of their knee, but also just from people around them. And the crutches really do that. The brace does not do that. This is um, ACL still four weeks. Yeah, we're still at a point somehow out in the community that there's a belief that braces are protective for patients with ACL injuries. And the purpose of the brace afterwards, as you well know, is that patients don't have a good, a, enough good quad control to be able to ambulate with any kind of a normal gait pattern. They're, they don't, they can't do a straight leg raise. They don't have enough quad control. So the brace is to sort of help them with that. But once they regain that, they really don't need it anymore. If anything, as we know, it inhibits their quad firing. No uh, and it also makes it very difficult for them to reach terminal extension, which is such an important part of the post-operative rehab process. So I would say it's the continuation of the brace and the discontinuation of the crutches that that I continue to try to get out there and, and make sure that patients are, are knowledgeable about and try to get that into the physical therapy realm too. I love that. That's super helpful. You want them on crutches four weeks, just ACL. Right. Yeah, isolated ACL, four crutches, or four weeks of crutches. Um, now, if there's a meniscal repair, obviously, that's going to be a different plan. That's, yeah. that's going to be a longer period on the crutches, typically six or seven weeks. But that's, that is super valuable um, to know, to hear that that's a surgeon's preference. That's awesome. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to tell you another thing that I wish MDs would do or, or not do. I wish orthopedic surgeons would stop clearing athletes based on a Lachman's test and how long it's been since mm. surgery. Why does that exist? Yeah, that, you know, that's such a big, there's a, such a big conversation behind that. Um, you know, clearly, if we talk about the evolution of ACL rehab, um, I think one of the bigger, one of the factors that has most affected that is the ability of some very prominent athletes to return at six months and one day to yep. compete and to do well in moving forward. The reality is, is that for most athletes, that's not the case. Uh, it is the time that they're most at risk for suffering recurrent injury. Many of them are just not ready at that point. And I think one of the biggest advances that we've made in ACL recovery, rehab, return to play in the last 10 to 15 years is eliminating the calendar date as the primary uh, determination of return to play. And now it's it's really a rehab. It's a rehab determination. It's functional testing. It's uh, proprioception. It's all these other things that 
that we test now. And I tell patients all the time, look, you know, you're likely to take seven to nine months to return at your optimal level to reduce the likelihood of recurrent injury as much as possible. But that's going to largely be a decision made in rehab and not a decision that we make in clinic because your knee is going to feel the same to me every time you come back. If it doesn't, we clearly have a problem. But it's going to feel the same at six months, seven months, eight months. Your quad control is going to be better, but it's really your functional testing that's going to change during that time and is going to best predict when you can safely return. So that that's very different. That was not the case 10 to 15 years ago. You know, Cybex testing was sort of, you know, we do this isokinetic testing, Cybex, and, and that was really a determination of when an athlete from a functional standpoint was deemed to be ready to return in addition to the calendar date. So I think we've, we've made a ton of progress there. We're much better now. Um, and we continue to still have limitations with regard to ACL return to play. But in terms of trying to manage good decisions in terms of when someone's ready to return to play, I think that has been a big, a big step in the right direction. You're making it clear why you and I get along so well clinically. Um, okay, so give me one more. Is there anything else? All right, I've got, yeah, I've got one more. Okay. So the other thing that, that I, I continue to, to really stress with patients, but there's something inherent in the human brain that just makes it difficult to understand is the need to regain full terminal extension immediately post-op and not focus on flexion. So all too often, I, I talk a lot with patients beforehand about the importance of regaining terminal extension within the first week, particularly for patellar tendon grafts. Um, but there still seems to be this human interest and phenomena of really focusing on flexion. Flexion is somehow in the human mind as being the best indicator of success and rehab immediately post-op. And as we all know, we have a couple months to get flexion back, really. Um, it's really that immediate period post-op when extension is so important. So I, I always, I, I just find it perplexing and somewhat paradoxical that, that, um, that we continue to see patients have a difficult time sometimes getting their extension and for the focus clearly to have been more on flexion. Um, I think we're getting better at it, yeah. but it continues to be a challenge. And, and it's, a, you know, it's, it's a very limiting condition, as you well know, trying to get that flexion or the extension back once they are more than a few weeks out for sure. Um, so if we could all just really focus on extension, I think that would be a big step in the right direction immediately. You can do some flexion, but focus on extension. Extension. I, to I totally agree with you. Um, s s some of the things that might help with that is getting those patients into the PT quick. And I think mm -hmm. that's been an uphill battle also. I think surgeons, possibly rightfully so, um, hearing some of those pet peeves, are, are, are leery to put their repairs in the hands of the PT too early. Am I wrong on that? Yeah, I mean, great comment. I think historically, physical therapy was not started for several weeks or sometimes a month yep. following surgery. And I mean, the reality is that some people in whom range of motion is not gonna be difficult, it didn't affect them from a range of motion standpoint. It obviously impairs their quad recovery. It impairs a lot of other things. There's a lot of benefits to being in PT immediately. But my feeling on that is if, if the reconstruction is not good enough, structurally sound enough to be able to withstand early isometric and early range of motion exercises, it's going to fail regardless of how long you wait. Yeah. Um, and the reality today is that reconstruction is, is strong enough for that. Accelerator rehab programs have clearly been shown to be more effective than delayed programs. There's tremendous benefit. I try to get people into therapy, as you know, the next day. Yeah, and we love if that. If possible. We get in there, get your knee extended, 
get to work on edema control, get good on your crutches, you know, just get comfortable with the situation. And then importantly, recognize challenges and problems that exist early in the rehab process. The earlier you recognize those, the more you can mitigate those. The later into the process it is when you start to realize that you're having a hard time with something, the harder it is to get. So if your goal is to return to play at seven months or eight months, the best way you can initiate that process is to get into therapy right away, get on top of the swelling, um, get your quad moving, get, you know, get things working early in a protective way, obviously. Um, but that is going to give you the best chance of recovering faster and meeting your milestones and, and just ultimately having success. Hey guys, this is Yoni with the True Sports PT Podcast. Just taking a quick break to let you know that our practice is growing. We have availability on our team for outstanding sports physical therapists. Doesn't matter if you're new to the game, doesn't matter if you've been out of school for a while. If you want to treat athletes, we are the place for you. We have outstanding benefit packages, great starting salaries, and more importantly, it is the ideal place to treat elite level athletes. Just reach out at pod at truesportspt.com. We also want to hear your feedback on the podcast. Maybe there's a guest that you want me to have on. Maybe there's a topic you want me to cover. Reach out, same email address, pod, P-O-D, at truesportspt.com. We can't wait to hear from you. Yeah, I know from our standpoint, we're terrified of getting even that patient in 10 days post-op. There are docs that absolutely right now turn to their patient um, after procedure and say, okay, in 10 days, I want you to start PT. Even that 10 days, they come in, they've been sitting in that brace, but they're sitting slightly flexed. And if that's a BTB, it can be hell getting that to extension for therapist and patient. Um, What I try to explain to the patient and jump in here if I'm wrong, I say, whatever I'm doing to you now, even though it's painful, when I'm pushing them to terminal extension, Your knee's already been here because Dr. Dries put you in terminal extension after he closed you back up. Does that happen in the OR? It does. And, um, you know, I I think the ways in which reconstruction's performed and and the ways in which the fixation's performed is designed to try to give the patient the ability to terminally extend their knee. The brace comment is an interesting one in the sense that there there is also a misconception that if if you're in your brace, your knee's straight, when in reality, there's no brace that really gets your knee straight and keeps it straight. Um, you know, a lot of people have hyperextension of their knee that you can't get in the brace. There's too much movement in the brace to maintain you. In particular, when, when some kind of a buttress is placed behind the knee, the knee is going to assume a, f- a flexed position, Flexes. even in the brace. And, and it can be a couple of degrees, but if you wait too long to try to get that back, that can be really difficult to do. So much more effective than, you know, the, in, in years past, the use of CPMs to try to rehab patients early on rather than go to therapy. We know that was a failed experiment. Um, Even the, though I still see that. You still that. see it somewhat, not as much as before, but still see it somewhat. Um, clearly, though, the most effective early intervention there is to get to rehab immediately with with a knowledgeable therapist who knows how to get your knee in the right positions, um, how to get your quad working, how to protect the graft, um, and how to get rehab moving forward. Um, but also in a way that that's protective, but is aggressive in the right ways that gets you moving in the right direction and, and helps you to, you know, just kind of get started on having success. Just grab that extension. Yeah. So, so really points well made. Um, 
obviously I've spent a, a bunch of time rehabbing your patients. Um, and, and that's been awesome. You, you make it easy. I want to get into, um, sports PTs who are looking to develop some type of referral source. What is the best advice you can give to a PT to say how, how that PT is going to earn the trust or gain referrals? from a surgeon? Great question. I mean, I think it's a very, it's obviously a competitive world out there. There are a lot of people that want to be involved in the care of athletes. Um, but I, I think I think the best ways for me and when I talk to other people in orthopedics, uh, I serve as the fellowship director for, for our sports medicine fellowship. And I think just in terms of teaching the fellows, it's that about... should have been in your bio. I know, sorry about okay, that. Um, it's about developing relationships. It really is. And part of that comes with introducing yourself. Part of that, though, comes with having success, too. I mean, part of that comes with patients having success. And, you know, patients, obviously, I want my patients to have a good experience in physical therapy. Physical therapists want their patients to have a good experience in surgery. So, I think those relationships are sort of uh, dependent on one another. But it starts with an introduction, and, and it kind of builds from there. And it, it just comes down to a level of trust between both. Um, it's not, it's not that, it's, that it's easy to initiate, but I think over time it grows. And, you know, in, in sports, as a sports medicine provider, you have to be willing to, to work hard over a long period of time to build your reputation. Um, people have to see that you take good care of patients, that you have success, that your athletes do well. Um, we can never prevent further injury from happening, but I think there's a lot of things that we do to try to help our athletes. And, and that's where I think that the relationship between the physical therapist and the orthopedist is so important in trying to educate patients and give them the best chance to have success that they have. I tell people all the time, you know, if you, if you did a state-of-the-art ACL reconstruction 10, 15 years ago and you did that same reconstruction today, you would not be deemed to be probably doing what's in the best interest of your athlete. So we have to continue to involve. We have to get evolve. We have to get better at what we do. Um, and that comes through learning and just sort of a lifelong dedication to the, the learning process itself and getting better. I sure do hope 10 years from now, we look back on what we're doing today and we say we're better. You know, we're better than we were then. Yeah. Um, so I think progress is good. Yeah. But that relationship is really an important one. And like I said, one that one that is a it's a two way street. Um, it goes back and forth. So uh, I benefit from from the experiences that I've had. And, and I would hope that the therapists feel like they they've benefited from some of the experiences they've had with me, too. Yeah, no question. It, it sounds like um, you're echoing the idea that um, uh, in older physical therapists once share with me, I was so gung ho coming out of graduate school about the business side, like I always thought I would own or manage my own physical therapy clinic um, in practice. And so I was like hounding him while I was in graduate school about, I don't know, some ridiculous business questions that I probably thought were really intelligent at the time. And he's like, shut up and become an outstanding physical therapist. Like stop worrying about the other stuff. And I think that was, it was hard to hear at that point, um, especially because he was related to me, but it was hard to hear in that I was so hungry, but th that really is the hallmark. Like, if you can show the MD that you're trying your, your best to get that athlete better as quickly and safely as possible, eventually that will resonate. But that has to be the bedrock. Parallel to that, I remember conversations having with one of my mentors when I started in practice. 
and having some difficulty dealing with some of the competitive practices that were involved behind the scenes and in um, taking care of patients. And, and I remember talking to him about that. And I remember his advice to me was just take good care of your patients. I mean, that, that is the one thing that more than anything else will build your practice and mm-hmm. develop you. Um, and I think it's been the best advice I probably received in training. I mean, I think if you just simply focus on taking good care of patients, all the rest of that will take care of itself. Um, in the long run, certainly, I think that is the, that's the best strategy. Uh, and it, it's how you're going to have the most fulfilling career and, and have the best success in the things that you want to do. I also think, um, re- I think referral sources see it um, when you're, I don't know, stepping outside of your lane. So I think MDs will see it if the PT is being too aggressive, let's say, or, or being too salesy, let's say. I know patients see it from the MD. I just had a, a patient um, that I sent to you to, to look at their knee. And their feedback to me was, uh, Dr. Driesters told me what he thought should be done, uh, how he would do it. And then it kind of wrapped up the conversation as opposed to other clinicians he saw, which said, okay, and, and we can book you tomorrow. I think just having the confidence in your skill set, saying this is the best path, you can use me or you can use the guy around the corner, but this is how I would do it, I think really resonates with the patient. I think it's the same thing that resonates with referral sources. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody has their own style. I am... Um I firmly believe, I tell the fellows all the time that we should never, you should never try to talk someone into having an operation that they're not ready to have, that they just simply don't feel like they're ready to undertake. Because largely in sports medicine, these things are somewhat elective. I mean, these are largely elective procedures. So I look at my role as being trying to educate patients about the injury they have, talk to them about different treatments that exist, and then in as much as possible, making a decision together about what's the right path forward. Um, and I think that works for some people better maybe than it does for others. It's not necessarily the right approach for everybody, but I really like it to be as much of a, um, you know, as, as much of a combined decision process as possible because ultimately there's more than one option. And as I tell patients all the time, you have to be comfortable with the decision before moving forward because there's no guarantee it's going to work out perfectly the way you want it to. But at least if you have come to the decision that this is the right thing for you and you're ready to move forward with that, it just helps a lot in the process afterwards. That, that kind of highlights actually something which I'm pretty sure you taught me about 10 years ago, which was things that can predict a successful outcome from ACL surgery are a quiet knee, a knee with full range of motion, some good quad control going into surgery, and the patient's understanding of the path of both surgery and rehab. And all of those equate to an outstanding outcome. I would have thought as a PT that that last piece, their understanding of the process wasn't as predictive. I remember you teaching me pretty clearly that it it is indeed a big piece of, of what's going to happen. And that plays into your education. Yeah, I mean, there's sort of, take the ACL, for instance, there's kind of two competing timelines involved in rehab. One is the timeline that we have, which is somewhat arbitrary in orthopedics about when different activities can begin. You know, you can um, get off your crutches at four weeks. You can typically ride the stationary bike within that period of time. You can do the elliptical at two months. You can jog at three. You can twist and pivot at four. That's one timeline. But the other timeline that is more important is the functional timeline. So if your knee continues to have an effusion and you have poor motion, 
trying to progress to jogging and cutting is not going to be successful. So it has to be, you have to take both of those into consideration. And I think the functional timeline really is the one that has to predominate there. Um, but it's, I think it's, it's easier for people if they understand beforehand that it's not just two months and one day until you do this activity. It's when you have full motion, your effusion is nearly gone or gone and your quad control is good. I mean, those are more important predictors of success. And I think when, when you try to force those activities without meeting those milestones, you really set yourself up for disappointment and potentially a higher risk of re-injury without a doubt. Yeah. Um, okay. Bringing this portion to a close, if there's one thing that you wish a sports physical therapist knew or understood about an orthopedic surgeon, it would be what? Hmm. Well, I think, I mean, specific to the orthopedic surgeon itself, I think, you know, I think physical therapists are actually very knowledgeable. I tell people all the time that your physical therapist can give you really good advice about a lot of different decisions in that process. Physical therapists understand that, that not unlike all other occupations, orthopedic surgeons have certain areas where they have more experience and other areas where they don't have as much. I would say, I think one of the things that I always tell patients also is that one of the things you don't ever want to do is to ask your orthopedic surgeon to do something that they don't feel comfortable or have experience in doing. So if you're seeing an orthopedic surgeon that's never done a meniscus repair before, you don't want to ask that person to do a meniscus repair. If you're seeing someone who's never done a hamstring ACL reconstruction, it's probably not a good idea to ask that person to do that. Life is about experiences. And I think with that comes a lot of wisdom. So, you know, I, I think um, just sort of understanding what levels of expertise are in different, different skill sets is important. And I think that's something though, that physical therapists, for the most part, they understand it. I mean, they get patients get good advice all the time. I get people referred to me by physical therapists, not infrequently, and it's typically because the therapist has said, I've treated their patients before, and his patients do well. I mean, they, they rehab well, they do well, they return well, and that, I think, is invaluable to, to athletes and to patients. So, um, you know, I think that, that, for me, is an important adjunct to um, anything that I can tell them. When they hear it from multiple sources, they hear the same thing. I think it really... Has a, has a bigger impression on them and, and makes them more comfortable moving forward. Yeah, I love that. And that's why this stuff is so important. You and I uh, have spoken in the past about social media and the use of social media and, and some self-promotion, but it's so important for the clinician, the sports PT clinician to know the specialties that they're referring to. Like everyone should know that you're the meniscus whisperer. Like we should know that that's, what, that's your bread and butter. You do tons of meniscal work. Not everyone does that. I recently heard you on a podcast and it was just a throwaway line, but it landed with me was you were describing your expertise and your background. And you said, I do shoulder, I do knee, I work with athletes. Everyone says that. And then you said, I don't do total joints. That line means a ton to me because I'm never going to send you a total joint. And I want a guy who is just doing sports med. I don't want a guy that does once in a while he'll do a total. Once in a while he'll do this, that. I think that's totally worthwhile to to really know the expertise. Yeah, I mean, I, I made a decision early in my career that if I was going to really focus on sports medicine, that I felt like doing uh, arthroplasty would end up in 
impairing my ability to be able to do that. And it's not to say that other sports docs don't do those things because some of them do and do a great job. Um, I just felt like for me personally, I could do a better job focusing on my craft if that really, if the arthroplasty part was not really a piece of my practice. And it honestly, it's given me the ability to focus more on some of those other things. So I don't regret that decision. I think, you know, I refer a lot of patients who need total joints to my partners that really specialize in that and do a great job with it. And they refer patients to me that have meniscal problems. So I think it, the relationship works well. But it doesn't mean that um, that folks that do some arthroplasty don't do a great job with that too, because I think some of them do. But for me personally, I just uh, I think I've been able to focus more in my career in not doing those things and and really being dedicated to to some of these other things we're talking about. Yeah, and and I love that. And and back to like the the marketing side and building relationship side, what I consistently say to our referral sources at True Sports is, do not send me everyone. Do not send me your totals. Do not send me your geriatric population unless they're getting back to sport and activity. Send me your athletes. That's why I went into this field. Um, I was kind of shocked at everything else that came along with it. But that's my passion. It sounds like it's yours too. Yeah, so I mean, my side to that same conversation is I tell athletes all the time, look, if, if, you're, if you go to a physical therapy office and it looks more like a doctor's office than a gym, you're in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. You need to be at a place that clearly has the capability, the facilities to help you not only do your rehab early on, but make the transition to return to play. That's such an important part of the process. And I think that, that transition is the one that I think has been probably most lacking historically is the transition from finishing physical therapy to returning to play. And it's, it's in part physical therapy, it's in part athletic training for a lot of these athletes, but it really is an important part of the transition um, and, and one that certainly um, can really help to limit the risk of re-injury. So, you know, I think, I think where they do their sports physical therapy is important. Um, and I wouldn't tell someone with a knee replacement the same thing, obviously. I think that's a, there's a different demand there. Um, so I think, you know, the the idea that like uh, one facility is not the right thing for everything is, is probably fair. Um, but I think for athletes in particular, they need to be at a place that has the the ability to to help them in that return to play capacity. I, I think that it's obviously true with sports PT. It's obviously true in the in the sports surgical world. You can't be great at everything. I think that's that's uh, that's a lesson well made. Um, this has been entirely enlightening. I really appreciate your, your focus on this. It's, it's a little bit more wide ranging of a topic in terms of how to develop relationships, both with referral sources, with other clinicians, probably most importantly with patients. And I think you did an awesome job of covering all those things. So I really appreciate your time. Um, we'll dig a little bit more into some specifics in another episode. But in the interim, if you have any feedback for this sports physical therapy podcast, you can reach us at pod at truesportspt.com. And that means you want another topic. You want another guest. You let us know. You want to work for True Sports. You send us your resume, pod at truesportspt.com. Where can we find Dr. Drees? I pra- I'm at MedStar. I also have my Instagram page, uh, sportsdrees. Um, but uh, I'm at MedStar in Timonium and down in Ellicott City seeing patients in those two locations. Love it. Thank you so much for your time. Look forward to learning. My pleasure, Yoni. Thanks for listening to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. If you'd like more information on today's episode, 
please visit us online at truesportspt.com. That's truesportspt.com. True Sports, what sports rehab should be.